We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses uh this week we'll be talking about mls cup well the upcoming cup uh mls cup which is this saturday because we finally know exactly who is going to be there we'll have our european roundup we'll be talking about coaches Maybe even be talking about agents and obviously players, uh, Champions League, possibly American soccer's best day ever, question mark. Uh, we'll be talking about Mank and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, is my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Tuesday, December 8th. We are recording 24 hours uh, later. We hope that you forgive us for that, but it's a good reason because I just landed back at LAX and came right to my house and I'm recording this podcast after uh, being on the road uh, up there in uh, Seattle for MLS. So we delayed it for 24 hours. And I know there's still soccer going on right now. Mossy, how are you? I'm doing well. Welcome back to Los Angeles. Um, As you know, Alexi, I lived in New York for many years. I was a big fan of the Mike and the Mad Dog radio program. And some of my favorite shows were when they were on there during the NCAA basketball tournament. And they'd be doing a radio show, but have like one eye on a television with games going on. And we'd be like half talking, half calling the games. And it's going to be a little bit like that today because we are, as you mentioned, we are taping this on Tuesday. It's 11.15 LA time. So the Champions League games have begun. And I have them on. I'm watching Zenit Dortmund right now. And so over the course of this podcast, the other games will be starting. And uh, so I'll have my eye on that. So if I seem a little bit distracted today, it's for that reason. It, it's completely understood. And I, I have the exact same thing over here to my right hand side here. So uh, Gio Reyna for uh, American fans out there just uh, made the scene. He did not start, but uh, they put him in with Dortmund being down a goal right now. Um, playing away uh, to Zenit. Okay, so uh, I mentioned that uh, I was up in um, uh, in Seattle for uh, for MLS. Uh, before we get there, because I want to talk to you a little bit about the the, the entire trip. Uh, did you watch anything interesting this week? You see anything? Listen to anything? Uh, a couple things. Uh, I've finished the HBO show uh, Industry. I was watching that week to week, but they dropped the remaining episodes on HBO Max, and I binged them. I also finished a tremendous true crime doc on HBO. Uh, Murder on Middle Beach. I don't know if you've uh, seen any of that, but yep. I thought yep. it was excellent. And I also listened to a fantastic podcast, which I highly recommend. Uh, it's on the Hollywood Con Queen. Uh, have you heard about this at all? Uh, it's a chameleon podcast. It's about this crazy story, this person that's been pulling this scam in the, in the, in the movie industry for the last several years. I, I can't even 
explain it that well, but it involves uh, convincing people to fly to Indonesia under false pretenses to work on a movie that isn't really uh, a movie that doesn't, and, and it's, it's really good. Uh, hats off to my, my friend, Dan Houtman, who recommended it. And, and, and it was every bit as good as he said. Okay. It would be. I want to, uh, and that I highly sure. recommend that one to you. Definitely so. going to ch- uh, check that out. Um, and I also, I did see the HBO, um, uh, murder on, uh, what was the street name? It's middle beach or middle beach. Exactly. And, and it's a, it's a wild one with incredible, um, history and footage there uh, that they that they got. So that's a good one uh, to recommend. I'm going to check out your podcast that you, you did because I'm going for a run later today and I need something. I also saw on uh, Netflix, there's a new movie out called Mank, M-A-N-K. And it is, how do I describe? It is about Herman Mankiewicz, who, uh, for those who don't know, was a, a screenwriter uh, years ago. And uh, he wrote... Um, the screenplay for Citizen Kane, along with Orson Welles. And it goes through this crazy life you know, of, this, of this screenwriter. And he was a larger-than-life type of personality, alcoholic, uh, hellraiser, but incredibly intelligent and a wonderful, wonderful writer. And it goes through, it's in black and white, and so it almost mirrors the, the, the angles and the shots in the way that Citizen Kane was shot as this story about the screenwriter and uh, going through the process of writing what many feel is the, the greatest um, the greatest movie in uh, in history but the here's the problem <laughs> okay so it, it stars Gary Oldman what a wonderful wonderful actor I think we can all agree the the problem <laughs> is that if any of you saw the movie Hannibal uh, Gary Oldman uh, you wouldn't you didn't recognize him but you you knew he was he was a star in it he played the disfigured um, uh, Mason uh, Verger in in uh, in Hannibal, you know, one of the uh, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon type of series that uh, it had, and he was disfigured, and he had this American accent voice. And the problem is that in Mank, he sounds exactly like this character that he did in that movie, and I cannot stop. <laughs> and it totally took me out of the movie. And I know not everybody saw that movie, so it's fine if you didn't. You're not gonna you're not gonna be affected, but. If you do see this, uh, now that I've planted the seed, you are going to absolutely hear it the first time that he opens his mouth. And you juxtapose it because in the, in the Hannibal movie, he is you know, hideously disfigured and, and just does not look anything even remotely like a human being. He's in a wheelchair. <laughs> and in this one, he's perfectly fine in body, uh, maybe not in mind, but certainly in, in body. And yet that voice, it's unmistakable. All right. I'll be interested to see if anybody else had the same uh, reaction to that. Still a good movie, still worth your, uh, uh, your 90 minutes. Um, interesting in the way that it was shot and just an interesting story about this guy. And it also shows what the Hollywood studio scene was back then and how they were fighting and uh, Randolph Hearst and that whole thing involved in Citizen King. So that's a good one. Uh, anything else, Mossy? No, uh, Alex Dodd does want me to mention, you might have heard uh, there's some construction going on in my building. Uh, so if you hear that throughout the podcast, that's what that is. Uh, you know, like we are a living directly above me. We are Either a living construction breathing. or something else is going on. But there, no, no, don't worry. I don't, no apologies. No apologies necessary. We are a living, breathing uh, a live type of pod- podcast here. And so we work through these things. We incorporate them in. I mean, at least they're working, right? You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're fixing something up, uh, something up out there. All right. Shall we jump right into uh, to MLS? Let's do it. Okay. So as I said, I came right from, uh, from LAX. Uh, for, first things first, 
I calculated it. And um, the last time that I got in an airplane and actually flew for anything uh, was back in February when obviously before the pandemic and before everything changed. Um, I, I start my pandemic type of thinking in terms of the lockdown on the 13th of March. But the last time I flew was at the end of February when we went to Nashville for a game. So it's, you know, it's been 10 months, uh, obviously coming up uh, on a year. And for someone like me, where it is just, it, it's all that I did every single week. And that routine and that ritual of traveling was just in, in the blink of an eye, snapped uh, and gone. It was, this was a, a weird and surreal and jarring type of experience uh, to go to LAX, to get in the plane, to do all that kind of stuff. I will say, I did not see a single person that was not wearing a mask. Now, obviously, it's, it, you have to wear it and they don't let you on the plane or anything, but there was nobody that was making a stand or making a stink out there when it came to uh, mask wearing. People there were wonderful, whether it was the, uh, the folks at LAX or the people um, working for the airlines, TSA, everybody could, could not have been more helpful and, and pleasant and nice despite the difficult circumstances. Uh, there weren't a lot of people on my plane. Uh, and we took all of the precautions and the safety measures. So you have safety measures when it comes to us at Fox. You have safety measures when it comes to the stadiums that you're going to, to the states that you're going to, the, the cities, to the hotels. So everyone has, everyone has safety measures. And sometimes everyone has different ones or more ones. And we, we took all of those uh, precautions beforehand, during, uh, during and after. You do fall back into your routine, but it still takes a while to kind of reboot and reset to that travel thing. Um, and it was great. It was, it was wonderful, the, the trip up there, in and out, 24 hours. But just to actually be at that stadium to see Seattle uh, hosting Minnesota, it was, it was nuts. It, it was, well, the game was nuts, but just the experience having not been there for so long was great. Uh, I, had, I had a really, really good time um, and we got to see what is arguably one of the great games and some maybe would argue the greatest uh, MLS playoff game on, uh, unfold before us. And yet it was in a empty and silent environment. And that was very, very strange, Mossy, because this could go down, as I said, as one of the great playoff games in history. And it deserved fans, especially in Seattle, where you could have had 60,000 people going crazy to see this comeback of epic proportions. So for anybody that, uh, that missed it or didn't see it, Seattle hosting Minnesota. Minnesota comes in flying all sorts of confidence. Seattle defending champs, playing at home. Minnesota goes up 2-0, think they're cruising, this is it, Minnesota, the loons are going to MLS Cup, not so fast, not so fast. Uh, you never know when Schmetzer time is going to hit you, and it hit, and Seattle came and scored three goals, uh, and in, uh, ultimately in regulation, they, uh, they get the 3-2 three, uh, three win to send them off to yet another MLS Cup. All right, so that's that's the, uh, the, the uh, big picture type of thing. Mossy, uh, you worked this game. You saw this game. What were a couple of your takeaways before we dive into, uh, into a little more detail? Well, first off, I was not in Seattle. I was the one person left behind in L.A. I felt like the kid from home alone. It was a very depressing. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, uh, yeah, it was an incredible game. You know, 
it's it's cliche to say this, but in the heart of a champion in Seattle Sounders, they never quit. You know, once Will Bruin scored that goal, you, you knew it was trouble for Minnesota. And, and again, uh, set pieces, set pieces, set pieces. I know that's been your theme for years covering these games. It, it, it so often ends up deciding these games and it, and it did uh, once again in Seattle's favor. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we were talking at halftime, Rob Stone and I, because um, we were in the we were kind of this high end zone um, nest, which was where our perch was for the, uh, the game. And we were talking about because, you know, you're going in down uh, if you're Seattle. So what does Schmetzer do? How, how does he approach this? And we talked about the set pieces because Seattle had plenty of the ball, plenty of opportunities. It was almost at times they were doing patterns to goal. Uh, in the way that they were able to get at Minnesota down the uh, down the sides with Jordan Morris um, and company, and and but their 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 ruthlessness was was missing, and so you got to change it up. And I'll tell you what I you know I, I agree with my friend Stu Holden who did the game with John Strong. I, I do think that Brian Schmetzer went with his heart as as opposed to his head in terms of his starting lineup, leaving out a guy like Lerdam and and and. Uh, you know, the, you know, these types of players that have been there, Thanks. done that because he wanted to play the, yeah, yeah. Because he wanted to play the hot hand, but ultimately he got it right. And I think he took a while to make those subs. Everyone was saying, Hey, come on, but you don't second guess Brian Schmetzer. He figures, he, he figures it out. And, um, but to your point, you know, this was a situation where you had a Seattle Sounders team that's been there, done that. They don't panic. They are built on not just, a couple years, but many, many years of success. It fuels and fires each and every one of those players to recognize that, all right, we, we made mistakes and we are in a hole here, but because we're Seattle, we're not going to panic and we're going to find a way out of it. And I just think you saw the, the, the perfect illustration of a team that's been there, done that, as opposed to a team that couldn't believe where they were in Minnesota and let it get away. Minnesota, this is, it's going to be on you. It, to a certain extent, it's understandable because of your naivete and, and your inexperience in this, in this game. But you're going to look back for a long time and say, we let that one get away and we shouldn't because this was a pathway to MLS that you had in the palm of your hand and you pissed it away. And who knows when you're going to get back. Seattle has made a habit of being great and going to MLS Cups. If I if I had to put money on Minnesota being back a game away from going to MLS Cup this time next year, oh, I'm not taking that bet. Yeah, it did have kind of an Atlanta Falcons, New England Patriots feel to it. Um, although I will say in Minnesota's favor, they have a, a, a player in Emmanuel Reynoso who uh, is capable of, of, of carrying any team anywhere. I mean, what, what a wonderful talent. I know the Seattle folks were a little bit put off by the Lodero Reynoso comparison. They felt like Reynoso hadn't completely earned that yet. But uh, uh, I'm sorry. I think he's worthy of all the praise that we were giving him. Uh, we really set this up as this great clash of South American number 10s, Lodero versus Reynoso. And around the 70th minute uh, last night, I was already envisioning the whole theme of MLS Cup being this all Argentinian clash of Zelarayan versus Reynoso. Instead, it becomes Zelarayan versus Lodero, which is also very good, too, and keeping the sort of South American theme going. It is amazing. It's really struck me all season long, just the, these... 
the introduction of these South American playmakers into MLS the last few years, how much they've elevated the quality of the league and how much fun they all are to watch. And, and, and I, I kind of felt bad for Reynoso last night because his mm. performance deserved to be rewarded with a victory. It wasn't his fault, anything that happened uh, wrong. He certainly held up his end of bargain. Yeah, we were getting ready. And uh, it's interesting because we talked to Brian Schmetzer, the coach of uh, Seattle, before the game, and he made a point of talking about, and, and this wasn't disparaging, uh, you know, so, but saying that, look, this is a new player and he had a long way to go to achieve the level um, uh, and the influence that uh, Nicholas Ladero had had, uh, had done. But we were, you know, almost to the end of that game saying if there was ever a moment where he was not only as good, but better, this was it. And then everything just changed and the soccer gods smiled down on Seattle. I, you know, I will say this, and I, and I said this after the game, if Seattle goes into Columbus and plays against Columbus in MLS cup this Saturday with the same type of posture and makes the same types of, of mistakes, that's not happening twice. You go to that well again, it will not be there. Uh, Columbus will make you pay. So they got to clean it up. Schmetzer uh, talked to us after the game and, and understood that they have to clean up you know, set pieces and, and these types of things, fouls, un unnecessary fouls. And just being like he, like he said, and we have talked about just being a whole lot more ruthless with the opportunities that are basically handed, uh, handed to you. But I think, I think this is shaping up to be a really interesting and really competitive MLS cup between these two teams. I see, Seattle is the favorite, but I'm hard pressed to say uh, that I would put all my money on one team or the other. Well, we talk about the unpredictability of MLS, but we should say these were two of the best, probably the best five teams in the league all season long. Columbus actually led the supporters showed race for a long time. And then they were leapfrogged by Philadelphia and Toronto. They finished as the third seed while Seattle was a number two seed in the West. So for all the zaniness we talk about with MLS all the mm -hmm. time, it's two teams that uh, were the higher seed in all the playoff games they played were at home and all the playoff games they played and they end up meeting in MLS Cup. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. It's a terrific matchup. So many great matchups all over the field. We already mentioned Lodero versus El Arayan. Obviously, you have uh, Zardes against Rui Diaz, or you, you can even frame it as Zardes versus Morris if you want to make it an American thing. Oh, yeah. uh, I, of course, have my eye on the uh, Brazilian midfield tussle of Artur, who got the winner against New England in the conference final versus João Paulo. Uh, even in goal, it looks like Eloy Room might be fit. And if he's in there, him versus Fry is a great matchup. The managers, Caleb Porter versus Brian Schmetzer, no love lost there. So, uh, yeah, so many great matchups in this game. Uh, it should be noted, the reason why Columbus is hosting and why we as Fox are going to Columbus for this MLS Cup is because for those that uh, either don't know or have forgotten, the seedings matter and the seedings were made uh, from points per game. So it really is, I mean, incredibly close when it comes to why Columbus is hosting. Uh, they had a 1.78 points per game finish for the season, regular season. They played 23 games and had 41 points. The Sounders, remember I said Columbus has 1.78. The Sounders had 1.77 points per game, but the Sounders played one less game, only playing 22 and had 39 points. So there's that one game out there that had the Sounders actually played it, won it, that would have been the switch because they would have gone, well, in, in all things right there, they would have been pushed pushed up at least to be tied with, I don't know, the, the calculation there. But it is interesting. And once again, it just highlights the fact that 2020 is not about being fair or, you know, or 
or being perfect or being right. It's just about things that you had you had to do and you make the best of it. Uh, but it also is going to give us an opportunity to head back to a place uh, in Columbus where a lot of things started. And this, the way, the way I think it's being framed right now is this is going to be the last uh, Columbus Crew game, certainly, in this stadium that was built for the Columbus Crew as they move into their new stadium. And so it's, it is kind of fitting if that's uh, ultimately what's going to, uh, what is going to happen because Columbus has played such a huge and historical role in not just MLS soccer, but American soccer. And so to go back to this, this storied place is going to be fun. And as I said on the uh, broadcast last night, the, the story of why Columbus continues to be in and of itself is, is something to behold. And it's because of the incredible work of the people of Columbus and the supporters when it comes to this team. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. I didn't think it was going to continue because keep, keep in mind a few years ago, this was a team on the move and they went out, they saved the crew, they found new ownership. And as I said, now they're staring uh, at a week here where they get to celebrate this stadium. Uh, they get to celebrate this team in yet another MLS cup. And they get to look forward to the new ownership uh, and this new stadium coming online. So there's, like you said, there's stories on both sides. It's a, it's an amazing, and it's a really cool matchup. Uh, I have uh, already been tasked by our our boss, Zach Kenworthy, uh, with putting together a whole feature on the history of that stadium. And so I've been researching this morning. And yeah, as you mentioned, uh, uh, two MLS All-Star games there, two MLS Cups, Women's World Cup matches in 2003, uh, all those uh, men's uh, World Cup qualifiers against Mexico, even going, going back to the famous one in 2001, which really uh, set off the whole Dos Acero thing. Um, so yeah, so much history there. Uh, it is worth mentioning though, since MLS went to this format of the team with the best record hosting MLS Cup in 2012, Columbus 2015 is the only home team to lose a match in 90 minutes. They lost to, ironically enough, Caleb Porter managed Portland that year. Now, Seattle did win MLS Cup in Toronto in 2016, but that was on penalties after a 0-0 draw. So you get into that whole thing of, is that technically a win or not? So Columbus is the only one that actually lost a game at home during this span since 2012 when they went to this format of the team with a better record hosting the final. So Columbus, so Columbus Stadium, uh, which is where we're going, um, Maffrey uh, Stadium, I'll, I'll never forget when it first came online. It came online a couple of years after MLS started, and it was the prototype and the very first soccer-specific stadium. When you hear people talk about soccer-specific stadiums, this was what came online first. And for the most part, Look, it was ours and it was great because it started something that then led to your Home Depots and, and everything that's come since. But it was, a, it, it, it was and still is a, a kind of glorified high school stadium. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't have heart and passion and it's not a, a fun place to play. So I'll never forget when it first came online. Uh, we were in Tampa because I was playing with the New England Revolution at the time. And we were in the bar and we were watching... Uh, the, the game came on that was opening this stadium. And I'll never forget because I thought that it was a game coming from Europe because of the angles, the camera angles, because we had never really seen American stadiums that were built for soccer have those similar type of angles that we associate with games that were coming from, uh, from Europe. So e- even that little thing um, just shows how important that stadium was and you know Lamar Hunt and everybody believing that that's what they were going to do my other story from that stadium is 
um, I remember in the middle of a season, I can't remember what season it was, but I, I was on that point where it, as soon as I got another yellow card, I was going to have to miss a game. So we were, <laughs> we were trying to figure out how to do it and when to do it. And, uh, one of my uh, wife's friends was having a wedding. And so I, I got a purposeful yellow card at one point so that I could, cause I knew I was going to miss it. And if I was going to miss it, I might as well go attend this, uh, attend this wedding. I have to figure out when that, when that was, but I'll never forget in the middle of that stadium, going to the referee and explaining what the situation was <laughs> that I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt anybody here and just, just understand that it's okay, but I, I need you to do this here. Right? <laughs> and it was fine. He understood everything was good. All right. Anything else uh, MLS wise in terms of, uh, you know, what, what's going to happen with that, with MLS cup. I know there's some more MLS well, stuff, but just a couple more historical notes, uh, Caleb looking to become the third manager to an MLS cup with uh, two different teams joining Bruce Arena and Siggy Schmidt. And then uh, Schmetz are looking to win his third MLS cup, which would put him second to Bruce Arena. Who's won five for Seattle. It would be their third in five years, which of course constitutes a dynasty, right? No, we, we've, <laughs> we've been over this. Okay. A dynasty is either three in a row or three in four years. Okay. I'm sorry. I have, I have spoken. That's what I think it is. That's how I define it when it comes to sports. Can I tell you something? Sure. I'm actually a tougher grader than you on this. Really? What do you yeah, got? Because I think the word dynasty is way overused. It reminds me of hip hop, how the word classic is so overused. Now every good album is a classic, but the word dynasty to me connotes longevity. It needs to be a lengthy period of time in which one team towered over a sport. So when I, when I look at dynasties in American sports, there's not really that many. I mean, you look at the, the, the Russell Celtics who won eight in a row in 11 and 13 years, the John Wooden uh, UCLA teams that won seven in a row in 10 and 12 years. Uh, and of course, the, the, the mother of all dynasties in American sports, the New York Yankees, who there's a period there from the 20s with uh, Ruth and Gehrig. Uh, Lou Gehrig, who supplanted, who was the, the first baseman in, in 1925? Oh, Wally Pipped, right? He got right. Wally Pipped. Uh, so if you take it from the 20s, Ruth and Gehrig through like uh, the early 60s, the, the Mano Yogi Bear teams, there was a period of like 40 years there where they won 20 World Series titles. So that's, as Bob Casas has joked, the only dynasty that compares to the Yankees is the Ming dynasty, which ruled China for hundreds of years. <laughs> well, but, but don't you... I, talk, I look at the, you know, the New England Patriots, Brady and Belichick, that's almost two decades and went to nine Super Bowls. These like cutesy Golden State Warriors three and four year type of things. I, I mean, it's, it's a great achievement, but it's just not long enough to constitute a dynasty in my eyes. So I, I, I'm even a tougher grader than you on this. But, can, no, but can't, can you be a dynasty the way that you're talking about it in the modern age of of American leagues. I mean, with the parody that we have a lot of it manufactured and salary caps and restrictions, I mean, wouldn't it be next to impossible? And so don't you have to kind of come down and, and, and look at it from a 2020 lens right now, or are you just perhaps, a stickler? Perhaps uh, given the way MLS is structured three and five years in MLS is the equivalent of like 10 and 12 years, the way right. some of these other sports. Exactly. There's a about. formula, there's a formula for, but I, <laughs> but I, I will not uh, call it a, uh, a dynasty. Let's see uh, other stuff uh, regarding this game. There, there will, there will, as far as I know, be fans. They had fans in uh, in the Columbus game the other uh, day against uh, New England in which they won. So I don't know how many fans. It depends. It depends on the state, what they're allowing at the time or in the next week, how things change. You never know how that, uh, that'll affect the game. So that, I, that is a, a good thing in that there will be fans to see this moment in history and Columbus fans... Uh, well, a select number of Columbus fans, by all accounts, are going to have that uh, that opportunity. So, th you know, that'll be fun. Uh, other MLS stuff, Mossy. 
Pozuelo named yes. league MVP. Um, any thoughts there? Uh, I'm fine with it. I did not vote for him. I voted for Rossi, uh, who I think finished second in the balloting. But I know a lot of people voted for Pozuelo, and I'm I'm fine with it. It, it goes to your point where you know once again um, we are seeing this money being spent, but being spent in a smart way and getting that return. These high-priced, high-profile type of signings, not necessarily huge names, but undeniable talent uh, and foreign talent that is coming in that are fundamentally changing these teams and in the biggest moments, stepping up and giving you consistent success and consistently something to feast your eyes upon. And Pozuelo is no, uh, no different. And he obviously he started uh, last year, but you know, for a long time, he was carrying this, uh, this Toronto team and doing it in a way that made you, uh, that made you notice. So congratulations to him and to uh, Toronto FC. If this had been announced the day after the regular season, nobody would have batted right. an eye because Pozuelo was clearly the best. Well, not clearly, but I think you could make a very strong case he was the best player in the regular season. But, you know, Rob Stone, uh, I thought, made a great point uh, last night. He said if, if Reynoso had gotten into, gotten to MLS sooner and played more of this season, you know, at the level that he's played after he got there, you, you kind of feel like, you know, he would have wanted. So, uh, so yeah, that's the way it goes. Um, speaking of Toronto FC, uh, Greg Vanny continues to be in the news. No, still no definitive type of move for him uh, as he is leaving Toronto FC. Um, by the way, you know, I mentioned uh, Brian Schmetzer. Uh, my, my friends up there in uh, Seattle took issue with the way that I talked about uh, Brian Schmetzer and his success that has come solely for Seattle. And, you know, my point was uh, with him is that we only have one environment and one circumstance and obviously one location to judge him. Okay. So when you ask me, is he a good coach? My point back to Seattle was, and uh, on air the other day was, he is a good coach in Seattle. I would even say he's a great coach in Seattle. Brian Schmetzer is a winner in Seattle. Brian Schmetzer is a champion in Seattle. Brian Schmetzer is a legend in Seattle. But that doesn't mean that automatically he would be the same thing any other place. And we have no, we have no data to show that he would. Now, a lot of people took offense to that because a good coach is a good coach is a good coach. But the same, the same goes for people in the news right now. Greg Vanny. Okay. The same goes for Ben Olson. The same goes for Chris Armis. The same would go for uh, a Jim Curtin if there's only one place. And I'm not saying that they can't go on and uh, be great elsewhere. But, you know, what if, what if Brian Schmetzer went to a different team? And the reason why we're talking about this is because he's out of contract uh, at the end of this year, which that in and of itself is, is very strange, but whatever. They've decided, you know, if, with the motivation or whatever. But if he were to go someplace else and the situation, the circumstances changed, who's to say that he would be good? Well, Seattle folks would say that he would be good. Now, Greg Vanny, obviously rumored to go to the Los Angeles Galaxy. He's been very, very good with what I would look at as one of the league's super clubs in the way that, uh, that Toronto has gone about their business. It's not to say that he's going to be good in, uh, in Los Angeles. We won't know that until we actually see that. So taking me to task because they, I have the audacity to say that 
He is good in Seattle and only in Seattle because that's the only place that he's ever coached. Come on, Seattle. You're better than that. No, you're not. You know, I love you, Seattle. You mentioned a lot of people took exception to what you said. That includes Brian Schmetzer's mother. Yes, yes. You know, we all have mothers that protect us and, and uh, significant others and uh, that, that are sometimes much more protective and dogged in their protection. And I love it. And I love it. So Ursula, uh, if you are listening, all right, your, your boy did good, by the way, again. All right. Your boy is a great coach in Seattle. He may go on to be a great coach someplace else. Okay. And, uh, and I would actually like to see that. I would like to see what a Brian Schmetzer looks like at another team. I don't know if there's going to be offers, if there's going to be opportunities. I, I would think he wants to continue with Seattle. And I would think ultimately that, especially now that he's back in yet another MLS cup, that they're going to find a way to get this done. But if it's about money, how much leverage does Brian Schmetzer have? If he's holding out for more money, if Seattle's going to say, well, if you're going to go someplace, go someplace. But if he doesn't have another place to go, then you lose a little bit of that, a uh, little bit of that power. But anyway, we got, uh, uh, we got uh, Greg Vanny on the move. Patrick Vieira got getting fired. Did you hear about this, Mossy? I did. What do you think uh, about this? Because immediately the MLS uh, rumors started to spread. Yeah, there, there are lots of people out there that think he's this great coaching candidate for MLS, and 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 MLS team should be all over him. And then there are other people we talked to, including. Stu Holden, I hope I'm not speaking out of school here by revealing this in the podcast, who kind of wonder, what's all this fuss about Patrick Vieira? Was he that impressive in the job he did? It? Where do you land on that? I was impressed with the job that he did at NYCFC for one reason. Um, he was a true believer. The way that he played was the system of how the organization wanted to play. And he did not stray from that. And he, are, he was able to articulate it, and he was able to show it on the field by the team that he played. And when it, when it got hard, he didn't run for the hills. I, I appreciate that and respect that. Obviously, he's not coming back to NYCFC. So I, I don't know yet if, given, given the opportunity to do whatever he wants, he would have a plan in place about how he wants to play. I don't know how married he was in MLS to the way that NYCFC played or just the fact that that's what his marching orders were in the NYCFC and obviously the, uh, the man city type of uh, system that, uh, that they, that they have there. Like, I don't think that he has cracked the code on the game when it comes to coaching. I don't think that, that he is necessarily better than that, than our coaches that are, that are here, but he's a big name and he would be yet another sexy sexier hire and one with MLS experience. And so that's why I think uh, people will, will raise their, uh, their eyes and pay attention to something like this, but still, I mean, this is just, there's just rumors flying around, but still no real concrete type of rumors when it comes to him attaching himself to any place right now. Uh, Greg Seltzer has an article on MLS.com uh, uh, for identifying which he thinks would be the most logical landing spots in MLS for Patrick Vieira. He's got Atlanta galaxy and Toronto and he goes through each one and, and why Vieira would make sense there or not make sense, I guess. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think he, unlike a lot of, uh, of coaches that haven't coached in MLS, whether they're foreign or not, I think he would not be coming with any 
preconceived notions. Obviously, he has had experience in the strangeness that is Major League Soccer. And I do think that that is a, a plus and an attribute that has significant value. Because now, now it's not just about the name. It's not just about the sexy. There's also a, a past and a history of him working and understanding what this league is and what this league isn't. And part of, you know, part of working through it as a new coach in MLS is the frustration and you know, sometimes the, the, the lack of understanding why things are done a certain way. And you got to be able to get over that really, really quickly. And so that wouldn't be a problem with someone like, uh, like Patrick Vieira. Anything else uh, MLS-wise, Mossy? That's it. All right. So Saturday on uh, Big Fox, right, Mossy? Yes, although the, the great Columbus sports day that I know Rob Stone was pining yeah. for, uh, not to be, the uh, uh, Michigan-Ohio State game has been canceled. Uh, Ohio State dodging a bullet there, by the way. I was feeling a Michigan win this year. That's right. So we were going to have this big Saturday uh, from Columbus with, uh, it's called The Game, right? The the Game? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't think it's been worthy of that for the last two decades. But Now, is- now uh, the reason why I know about this is when I came and uh, landed at LAX and came home here, immediately my wife, who is a huge Ohio State fan, was up in arms about this decision, okay? And the conspiracy theories and theorists out there are, wow, my goodness, what's going on here? But you know what? So far, uh, and fingers crossed and knock on wood, we're going to have a big game, and it's going to be uh, the Columbus crew hosting the Seattle Sounders with MLS Cup. All right, Mossy, you ready to move on? Yep. All right, we are going to take a real quick break here, and when we come back, we'll do our uh, European roundup. Don't go away. Hello, State of the Union listeners. It is Alexi Lawless here to tell you about our brand new Fox Sports app and website, foxsports.com, reimagined for the modern sports fan. Go ahead and download the new app now. You don't even have to pause this episode. Every day on the new app and website, you'll see the top stories in sports, plus a rich world of written content, videos, social media, and analytics to give you a 360-degree view of the most important stories of the day. You can favorite your favorite teams and players so you'll never miss an important update. Streaming live TV has never been so easy or elegant. Every Fox Sports game, including all pregame and postgame shows, are just one click away. For the extra invested fan, we also go deep with real-time wagering lines, trending prop bets, win probability, and key player projections. So download the new Fox Sports app or visit www.foxsports.com. All right, time for our European roundup. As we mentioned, we are recording this on uh, Tuesday, right in the middle of Champions League and some very, very big uh, games that are going they are going to uh, happen. So some of it will be real time. Some of it we will just put off until everything is kind of sorted out uh, until um, uh, in next uh, until until next podcast. But still plenty of stuff to talk about over the last week that has happened when it comes to uh, the club uh, soccer scene. Where should we start, Mossy? Over there uh, with our friends from England? Sure. All right. We're going right to the uh, EPL. Now, last week, I brought up uh, a topic, and you said that I was burying the lead. So I'm going to let you decide what you want to talk about first when it comes to uh, the EPL. Well, why don't we start with the North London Derby? Uh, Tottenham defeated Arsenal 2-0. Goals by Son and Kane. 
And listen, if you're going to win a Premier League title, you have to take care of business against the bottom relegation threatened team. So, so Tottenham <laughs> did just that. And, and let me tell you something. If, if Kane and Son stay healthy, uh, they are going to be an absolute handful because it allows Jose Mourinho to focus on what he does best, which is building a solid, disciplined team that's tough to score against. And he has these two monsters up there that can conjure up goals out of nothing. So he can still have a potent attack without having to commit that many men forward. So it, it's the perfect, perfect formula for Mourinho. And, and, you know, look, it's not as pretty as, as what we've seen from Liverpool and Manchester City the last few years, but nevertheless, it's effective. I know Arlo White is... is is big on this idea that it's not that Mourinho has adapted. It's that things have sort of shifted his way, that the nature of this pandemic season with uh, condensed schedule and, and more injuries and managers having to rotate more, it means that the teams like Liverpool and City that play the more expansive, rhythmic champagne football, they're, they're going to struggle for consistency, wow. while Tottenham have a formula that's more uh, easy to recreate, and, and it's just going to be about churning churning out the points in a season that's more kind of a war of attrition. Do you, do you buy all that from Arlo, or do you think well, he's not? I mean, putting correct me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I, that feels like a, uh, a a backhanded compliment, a pat on the head, if you will, from Arlo uh, to Mourinho, Tottenham, and and of you know teams and people. Yeah, of there's that some ilk. of that. I mean, the media has been so bullish on the fact that the game has passed Mourinho by in the last couple of years. It's been about. Uh, Pep and, and Klopp. And so now what are you having the success he's having? Uh, so they're a little bit, I mean, you got to give the man credit, but also they're trying to figure out a way to do it where it's, it's a bit more measured and they don't have to sort of go all, all in again. On, on It seems like people don't want to give him credit. <laughs> uh, and look, he's he's a larger than life personality and that, that kind of comes with the territory. My question for you is this, Mossy, and it not only applies to Tottenham, but the Mourinho effect can you give me an example of how it manifests in terms of a game that isn't pretty, uh, a game that for the masses, they don't see as appealing? And while it might be effective. So, so if, I, if you're trying to explain to me why this person is great, but in his greatness and part of his greatness is dumbing the game down or making it ugly how would what, what would you point to specifically on the field that a Mourinho team does well he, he's not a big proponent in pressing high uh, he, he prefers his teams to defend deeper to absorb pressure suck the other team forward and then try to exploit the those spaces on the counter so a lot of people see that as a fundamentally reactive approach to the game rather than a proactive of of pressing high and trying to steal the ball in the other team's half and, and being constantly in attack mode. And yeah, that's and, different. And, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. But that's different because th there's difference. So you're equating progressive tactics with attractive and entertaining soccer, right? Correct. Huh. That's interesting. I mean, even there was some chirping from Spurs fans during the first half of that game. They get the early goal, spectacular strike from Son. They go up 1 0. And a lot of Spurs fans felt like Arsenal was there for the taking and instead Tottenham just instinctively like, like Mourinho teams do, they just fell back and defended the whole rest of the half. And like I said, trying to maybe catch them out on the, uh, on the counter, but that, you know, a, a team like Liverpool or Manchester city would have jumped all over them and scored two or three goals early and put that game away. And not, okay. so, you know, it's a little bit of that. So, you know, th there's always that thing hanging over money, but like I said, it's been effective so far this season that that West Ham game, notwithstanding, which uh, everything I just said about the way Mourinho seems play makes it even more mind boggling that crazy game where they had the three lead at home and ended up tying three, three. Well, look, I mean, ultimately, Mourinho has always stood on the fact that 
like him, don't like him, pretty, not pretty, he wins. And so they are sitting pretty right now. Are they for real? Absolutely. I think they're going to be in it towards the end. I would still slightly favor Liverpool to win the title, but uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if Tottenham won it, which would be very satisfying for him. So you, I guess my other question was going to be, are Spurs as good as we think they are? And is Arsenal as bad as we think we uh, we are? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Arsenal, what what a mess, uh, Arteta. You know, he... (laughs) You know, he's been, like I said, he, he's had this knack of, of coming up with a smart game plan and pulling out a result here and there against another one of the big six. And that sort of obscured the fact that just overall, you weren't seeing them play good football and we weren't scoring a lot of goals. And now it's all sort of, uh, he's not even getting results against the big six. And, and just their overall play is just lousy. It's just lacking any kind of spark. And uh, boy, they, they've got some real, real problems. Uh, Rory Smith wrote a great piece about Arsenal and how uh, what's happening to Arsenal right now, you, you didn't think could happen in the super club era. You thought, you know, that there's this, there's this uh, idea that there's a super club insularity, that if you're one of the chosen few with all the money, there's only so far you can sink down. You really have to screw it up to find yourself where they are right now. But yeah, they've, they've somehow done it. All right. So I, I hear you saying that Spurs are as good as we think they are, and Arsenal is as bad as we think we are. Yep, are. yep, absolutely. Okay, um, quick, uh, quick look around here. Um, let's see, Liverpool cruise along. Um, so, so Spurs, Liverpool thumped Wolves four 0 So Tottenham and Liverpool level on points atop the table. Tottenham ahead on goal difference. Okay. Chelsea are, are third, which is where you should go next because we did have an American goal in their game. We did. Uh, so Christian Pulisic, who was not starting, but came on uh, to uh, as a substitute and came on and and scored, which <clears throat> led to. And uh, maybe we can talk about this now or, or, or later, but led to what it was potentially one of the great days for some, maybe the greatest days of American soccer with uh, Christian Pulisic, with Weston McKinney, uh, with Gio Reyna all scoring goals uh, at the same time uh, or same day uh, for their club teams. Obviously, we have Sergino Des continuing on uh, with Barcelona. Playing, playing very well. Playing Tyler well. Adams. Uh, so arguably one of the great day, one of the, well, not arguably one of the, definitely one of the great days, but arguably the best day when it comes to Americans abroad, if you will, uh, playing out there, especially when it comes to goals. And that was, you know, that was a cool thing. Uh, we'll talk about... Uh, 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 about uh, Italy here in a second. Uh, anything else when it comes to the EPL? We, we got to talk. We can't talk about the EPL without talking a little bit about uh, the Manchester. The Derby's this weekend. Derby, Derby. What are we doing? <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't? Uh, oh, okay. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So, so just to finish up on Chelsea, they, they, they went down 1-0, but beat Leeds 3-1. Uh, Pulisic got the third and clinching goal. Giroud, by the way, also found the back of the net. He's been on fire lately. He got four in the Champions League, went over Sevilla. So Chelsea looking very strong as well. And then, yeah, both uh, United and City won. Uh, City took care of Fulham 2-0. United uh, also fell behind and then, and then rallied, beat uh, West Ham 3-1. Uh, and so that sets up uh, this upcoming weekend. United host City. In that United win over West Ham, Paul Pogba scored a spectacular strike. So you would have thought we'd be going into this game with Pogba on a high, but his agent, Mino Raiola, decides to put his foot in his mouth. And so now, uh, you know, very negative stories surrounding Paul Pogba as we enter this very crunch week here for Manchester United with the Champions League game they're going to play today, which we'll talk about in a minute, and this this derby looming against Manchester City. Can I just uh, say something about uh, agents? Um, (laughs) 
your agent is an extension of you. Your agent represents you. You hire your agent and you pay your agent, either directly or indirectly, you pay, and that person makes money off of you. And therefore, it is on you. If your agent does or says something that reflects poorly on you, then it is up to you. It is incumbent on you to go and fix the situation, okay? Now look, agents all the time do the bidding of players. That's part of what their job is. Sometimes they'll say something uh, in order to create a situation that they feel is advantageous to their, uh, to their client. Sometimes they will say something in order to get a message out there that, they, that their client wants out there. Uh, sometimes they will do things on their own because they feel it benefits their, uh, their client. And sometimes you have to trust your agent to be able to do, be able to do that. But if this is your agent talking, okay, you can't just say, well, it's just my agent talking. I have, uh, I have nothing to do with that. No, this, these, these are your people. This is your person. And this is who is speaking and talking for you. And if you don't want that person doing that, and you don't want to be held accountable for what that person says and does for you, then you fire them. So look, Mino Raiola, right? Raiola. God. Let me try that again. Mino Raiolo. Perfect. Is that right? Yeah. God, it's so hard. Why is the A second letter? Anyway, super agent, right? Uh if you if you are a big player, chances are you are going to be within his roster is is, is long. He is a very public type of uh, figure and uses it to his advantage and uses that type of uh, uh, of leverage. I mean, that it's happening now with Paul Pogba uh, is this a surprise, Mossy? I mean, this is what Paul Pogba is. I I I don't necessarily think that he is a a problem, but. This this is not heading anymore in a positive direction, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm a Pogba fan. I do think he's been miscast. He's a moments player at a position in which people expect more consistency. He's a guy that has a couple of great moments of skill a game, and once a month will crank a shot from outside the area in the upper 90. And you can package that and put together a nice YouTube video that makes it seem like he's the greatest player ever. But if you watch him week in, week out, he's not consistently taking games by the scruff of the neck like people expect great central midfielders to do. And by the way, that's been there's this revisionist history. I hear people say all the time, why aren't United getting Juventus, Pogba? He was this way at Juventus too. And Juve fans used to pull their hair out at, at his inconsistency there. So it's just been his trade throughout his career. But I still think he's a very talented guy that brings some great qualities to a team. But the ultimate indictment here is that... I think Mino Raiola thought he was dropping this huge bombshell that this is going to be like a messy bureau facts moment where it was going to be like the headline of every paper around the world. And the reality is Pogba is just not that relevant right now. Where everybody saw that and was like, oh, okay, yeah, interesting. Pogba wants to leave United. And it, didn't, it wasn't like this earth-shattering thing that, that I think Mino Raiola thought it would be. So that it really is like the ultimate indictment of where Pogba is right now. But do you think that that's going to be reflected in his lack of options? Because I still think there's a lot of people that will want him. Uh, I think a lot of people would want him. It might not be for the money he's hoping for. Now that's mm -hmm. partially because of the pandemic. And so I, I don't think it's going to be like some hundred million euro transfer, uh, but sure for the right price, there's certainly teams throughout Europe that would want him by the way, a score update Leipzig. And we'll get to Champions League in a minute with an early lead on Manchester United, all sorts of implications there. Angelino uh, with the goal. Um, 
So, <laughs> but nice. let's not get too off course here. We've got uh, no, 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 no. Look, it's like we said, it's going on. So if it happens, it happens. By the way, uh, we we started off the pod talking about uh, Dortmund. Uh, they came back. They scored two goals and they end up winning two to one. Right? Arena providing the, the spark. Yeah. So good for uh, good for Dortmund. Good for Gio Arena. By the way, there is a there is a segue here. If you want to go Bundesliga next, yeah, and- yeah, let's do Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, so so tremendous game between Bayern and Leipzig ended three three. Uh, listen, I know any Bundesliga match involving Bayern, there is this sort of like overarching thing of like, you know, what's the point here? We all know how this is going to end anyway. But still, I, I still get great enjoyment out of, out of watching Bayern play against Leipzig or against Dortmund. Those tend to be fun, entertaining games, and and this one certainly was. Uh, Leipzig led. Uh, one nil, then then Bayern took a, a turned around, took a two one lead. Then then Leipzig ended up turning it around and taking a three two lead, and and Bayern equalized. Um, and the only thing I'll say about Nagelsmann, I, I am a huge fan of his, but he does have a little bit of this Pep mad scientist thing where he sometimes changes too much. There was a 15-minute stretch in the second half in which he made five substitutions, and I thought he completely disrupted the rhythm of his team when they were winning and playing well. And, and you know, Tyler Adams in particular was playing in the midfield, having an excellent game. He makes a change which moves Tyler Adams to right back. And then like five minutes later, he makes another change, which moves Adams back to the midfield. And I, I didn't understand that. It, it reminded me of like George Costanza, like giving instructions to the cab driver and being like, switch lanes. And then, oh no, my, my fault, get back on this. You know what I mean? It's like this, this constant chopping and changing of your team, which I, I think he takes it to a degree that's unnecessary. It actually hurt his team. But nevertheless, uh, drawing Bayern 3-3 is, is, is a, a good result for Leipzig. And, and, and Tyler Adams, I thought, played very well when he was – when Nagelsmann left him alone and he was in the midfield, I thought I had an excellent game. Well, I, I, w- I will say to your point <clears throat> in terms of watching uh, Bayern Munich, yes, the, the chances are and the very good chances are that Bayern Munich is going to win and win pretty much every game that they go out and play. But when they get themselves into predicaments, I mean, it, it's there is still an enjoyment and a joy that I take in watching them get out of these predicaments. And and going to that well and maybe it's 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 just a feeling that maybe this is the moment when they go to that well and it's empty and yet time and time again they go and it's not empty and they're able to to uh to find uh, a way out of the situations that they get themselves in and there i think that that i think a lot of people feel that way it's not I don't think it's boring necessarily watching Bayern Munich, even though you know for the most part they are going to win every game that they play. And then uh, continuing on our American theme, uh, yep. Dortmund were held to a uh, 1-1 draw away to Frankfurt. Uh, no Holland, he's injured. He might miss the rest of 2020. But uh, Gio Reyna scored Dortmund's goal with a spectacular strike. So uh, good news there on the American front. Yep, cutting in from that left-hand side as he likes to do, and just took a look and smacked the thing. So it was, uh, it was great. So, you know, we were seeing Pulisic score, Gio Reyna score, and we'll talk about uh, somebody else scoring here in a second. Anything else, Bundesliga? Yeah, one last thing, uh, Bundesliga related. One of the underrated stories in European football so far this season: Leverkusen are unbeaten. Uh, they are second in the table above Leipzig and Dortmund. They're just one point behind Bayern. So. Peter Bosch doing a tremendous job there. They lost Kai Havertz. A lot of people thought they might take a step back this season, but so far so good for Leverkusen playing very well. Um, all right. Should we uh, skip over to, you want to skip to Spain before we go sure. to Italy? Yeah. All right. Let's do La Liga here, my friend. Uh, Barcelona. <laughs> uh, 
All right. I asked earlier if uh, Arsenal is as bad as we think uh, they are. I, it, I don't think Barcelona is as bad as some say they are. But it, it, in a year, as we talked before, where they kind of needed to at least look like that they were returning to some lofty height, <laughs> they, uh, they are looking more and more mediocre uh with with each week and that it's happening in this situation uh that with Messi that that doesn't look good either yeah they lose 2-1 to Cadiz the the second Cadiz goal uh might rival uh Divock Origi's goal for Liverpool against Barcelona in the Champions League for just farcical like just blooper (laughs) defense I mean how Barcelona they had a throw in and I don't know if you saw it, but how they managed to turn that into a Cadiz goal. Uh, the throw-in came to Longley, who wasn't quite ready for it. And then Ter Stegen had to come out, and he made a hash of it. And next thing you know, Alvaro Negredo is flotting the ball in the back of the net. And, and Ronald Koeman just had this look on his face like, I mean, are you, are you serious? And so, and yeah, and, and you know, it, it, the, the interesting dynamic there is Messi has sat out a couple of Champions League games recently, and they played really well and gotten good results. And then, you know, he comes back for this game. And look, nobody's crazy enough to suggest that on any sort of footballing level, you're, you're, they're a better team without Messi. But there is this sort of sense that the whole Messi situation is sort of casting a dark cloud and, 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 and dragging the other players down a little bit. And then they're a little, when Messi's not there, they, there's a little bit of a, of a freedom there to kind of, you know. So, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's an amazing dynamic right now. Is it possible for Messi to be Wally Pipped? I mean, can you get Wally Pipped without injury? Can you just be, can you get Wally Pipped just for being a grouch? <laughs> and while you were out being a grouch, uh, the team did well. Can you imagine that? Oh, boy. I don't know. Uh, 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 all right. Anyway, uh, anything else? Uh, La Liga? Yeah, I mean, I, I continue to be bullish on Atletico. They beat yeah. Valladolid, which is Ronaldo's team, uh, 2-0. Uh, Real Madrid got a nice win. Zidane's been under pressure there, but they won 1-0 away to Sevilla. And so the way it stands now, uh, Atletico Madrid are in first place. They're 12 points. And again, with all respect to the Real Sociedad and Villarreal, I look at, in terms of the title race, I look at Atletico, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. Atletico in first place, they're 12 points above Barcelona. So I'm almost ready to write off Barcelona as far as uh, winning the league. And Atletico are six points clear of Real Madrid. They do have a game in hand. Uh, so in theory, they could win that and, and make it nine. But uh, keep in mind, Atletico, they go to the, uh, well, it's not the Bernabeu because they're playing their games at the Alfredo de Stefano training center. But uh, they're away to Real Madrid uh, this mm-hmm. upcoming weekend. So that's the big game in La Liga. So yeah, I mean, if Atletico ever won that game and then won this game in hand and opened up a 12 point gap on Real Madrid, then, then it'd be really crazy. But uh, Real Madrid, uh, instead, they're hoping they can close that gap. So my, my last question to you when it comes to uh, La Liga, uh, you mentioned, so Barcelona in ninth um, with, let's see, what, let's see what points they have, 14 points. Do you think that there is, can your big brain wrap, wrap itself around the potential of Barcelona not finishing within Europe or in a European place? <laughs> it's not outside the realm of possibility i still i still would put them in my i still would put them in my top four but it is such a mess this season that it's not completely outside the realm of possibility i'll say wow (laughs) that would be grounds for (laughs) dismissal firing sacking everything just i'm calling right now uh barcelona arsenal europa league final next season Although <laughs> Arsenal just getting into a Europa League place at this point would be like a mess. Oh, wow. All right. Barcelona's bad, but Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
anything else, Mossy, when it comes to uh, La Liga? Uh, no, no. All right, Serie A, Serie A. And we're going to go right to the American. Weston McKinney, congratulations, uh, becomes yet another American to score in Serie A. Um, gets his, uh, his goal off the head, finds himself uh, open uh, uh, off a... Uh, who put it in? Quadrado, whoever. Uh, but anyway, scores uh, scores the goal, uh, makes a little bit of uh, history, and um, congratulations to him. It was fun. I, I I enjoyed watching it. I felt good, um, and I felt proud of uh, of what he is doing, and certainly did uh, on the day. Did you score in Syria? Uh, I scored a couple goals in Syria. Yes. How about uh, that? I did. So I would be included in that in that list. That was certainly not my I was mostly picking balls out of our own net, given the, <laughs> the uh, uh, yeah, that McKinney goal uh, came in the derby against Torino. They, they actually Juve were trailing one nil for most of the game. He came on in the second half, got a headed equalizer and then Bonucci got the late winner. So two uh, one win for Juve, which is big because they, they stay within touching distance of Milan, who are continuing to be lights out. Uh, they won two one over Sampdoria without Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, Inter took care of Bologna 3-1, Hakimi with two goals there. So it's Milan still unbeaten in first place. They're five points clear of Inter and six points clear of Juventus. That's the story in Syria. Uh, okay, Liga. <laughs> well, only thing I'll say there, uh, PSG uh, beat Montpellier uh, 3-1. They, they actually rested Neymar for this game in preparation for the Champions League game they're playing uh, right now. Uh, Lyon, uh, they beat Mets. Lyon are just... Two points back of PSG. Rudy Garcia doing a tremendous job. He's even coaxing some good performance out of this Brazilian guy, Lucas Paqueta, which I did not think was possible. And so uh, this upcoming weekend, big game, PSG hosts Lyon, which should be fun. So uh, it's not often we say there's a big game in Ligue 1, but that is the case this upcoming weekend. Uh, before we get to uh, Champions League, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on uh, Neymar and his talk about Messi? It was kind of weird and random uh, about that. What, what do you think he was thinking? The only thing I'll say is he was answering a question from ESPN Argentina, which uh, I didn't hear the question, but maybe in the question there was already, oh, would you would you like to play with Messi? I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, he said that. And and people seem to think there's some legs to that, that uh, if, if Messi were to leave Barcelona, it might be PSG and not Manchester City, which is the team we should look at, you know. And if you connect all the dots there, Mbappe's contract runs out in 2022. He hasn't signed an extension yet. And people seem to think he might be angling to leave this upcoming summer. And he knows that uh, PSG might not have as much leverage if he has only one year left on his deal. And they're facing the specter of him leaving a year later for nothing. So they might be willing to sell him for the right price. Real Madrid and Liverpool are circling there. And so maybe Neymar knows that and he wants to get a, a, you know, a replacement for Mbappe essentially. And so he's working, you know, to, to bring Messi to PSG. Uh, and, you know, Leonardo was asked about it as a technical director and he didn't like give it a get out of here. He just said like, Oh, now it's not the time to discuss this, but people took that to mean like there, there's something there that he just doesn't want to go public with it yet. Would you rather live in Paris or Manchester, Mossy? <laughs> I would rather live in Paris. Wow. You, you I love Paris so much. I, I watched Emily in Paris and thoroughly enjoyed it. That's oh, all right. There you go. Uh, all right. So you, we mentioned that we are watching Champions League as we speak. Uh, RB Leipzig now 2 nothing. Yeah. So over the, Manchester United, right? Yeah. The, the drama in terms of qualification to me is there because uh, presuming PSG are going to take care of business at home today against Istanbul, Basak Shakir, which I haven't checked the score of that game yet, but 
Uh, it would basically mean Leipzig and United are playing straight up for a spot. Leipzig needing a win, United only needing a draw. But if it's 2-0 Leipzig, then it seems like Leipzig are well on their way and United could be the uh, odd team out here in this group. In terms of star power and glamour, the big story is at Camp Nou. We've got Barcelona hosting Juventus, Messi versus Ronaldo for the 36th time in their careers. And right now it is 1-0 Juventus. Uh, our buddy Jeff Hernandez gave us this update and I've, I've flipped over to that game. Cristiano Ronaldo from the penalty spot so uh so far it's Ronaldo one Messi zero oh it's all happening it is all happening right now cool 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 uh anything you want to hit uh on Champions League uh well uh again this podcast will drop uh tomorrow these Tuesday games will be over and then and there won't be you know the Wednesday games will be who knows by the time you listen to this it might have already happened as well the only thing I'll say on Wednesday is uh, Salzburg hosts Atletico Madrid and believe it or not if Salzburg were to win that game they would go through Atletico would be out which would be a tremendous achievement for Jesse Marsh so on the American front there's definitely something to keep an eye on there and then that Real Madrid group which is uh, Gladbach Real Madrid uh, Real Madrid hosts Gladbach and then the other game is Inter hosting Shakhtar and all four teams still alive I won't even get into all the different permutations there but it's absolutely wacky so that's going to be a very fun group to keep an eye on uh, I know <laughs> there's a scenario by the way where if Inter uh, jump on top of Shakhtar, then Real Madrid and Gladbach would know that in that scenario, a draw qualifies both of them at Inter's expense. So Inter is a little worried. I guess the expression in, it, in Italy is biscotto, which is kind of a reference to when two teams arrange a result so they can both go through. It's be shades of West Germany, Austria, 1982. And there's a little bit of a fear on the Inter side about a biscotto tomorrow involving Gladbach and Real Madrid. So keep an eye on that. But that group is absolutely crazy. Wow. All right. Well, you've given us plenty of reasons to uh, to watch as it comes down to the uh, the wire here. And, and like we said, it's happening as as we speak for today uh, and tomorrow. Uh, anything else, Mossy, uh, when it comes to our European roundup? That is it. All right. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi. All right. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there or Ask Mossy. But anyway, you send us your comments, questions, and concerns, and we pick uh, two or three of them each week, and we try to answer them or discuss uh, what you want to talk about. What do the people want to talk about this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, at Where's Precky? Uh, U.S. men's national team uh, El Salvador match. Based on the U.S. roster, what, what can we learn? So uh, the United States men's national team plays its final game of – what amounts to, uh, I guess, four games this year in 2020, kind of a lost year. Um, U.S. playing a mostly domestic um, U.S. men's national team playing against El Salvador. So what can we learn? It's hard because this is a team that the U.S. is better than, no matter who is invited into this camp. Uh, this is a team that the U.S. is going to uh, outpossess and I think out shoot and ultimately out score. This is also a team that in the, in the greater good and the, and, the, and the greater struggle to evolve and to become an elite team is not a team that we are talking about. Okay. We have always, and will continue to expect to beat a team like uh, a, a team like El Salvador. But having said all of that, there are some holes and some opportunities out there, not the least of which is up top. We've talked about that on numerous podcasts about the fact that Greg Berhalter just does not have that go-to striker, that go-to number nine up top. 
for many years, it's been Josie out the door, but Josie is a shell of his former self right now, as was evidenced when we saw him come back into the, uh, the MLS fold with Toronto FC. He did not look even close to what he needs to in order to make an impact with, uh, uh, with the national team. Josh Sargent still hasn't grown into what a lot of people, including myself, want him to be. Uh, Jossie Zardes, we know how polarizing at times he can be. I would think he's your starter right now. So up top, you got guys in camp like Daryl DK. Uh, you got guys in camp like Akinola, these types of players that that's something we could look for. Does somebody step up and not necessarily claim that position for himself, but demand that they be part of the conversation going forward. And this, this is a long conversation that's going to continue uh, with these games, but you got to use every opportunity because there's not a lot of games out there. And so for these players that are coming in and it's not just up top, but that's one of the areas of weakness right now, these players have to show that they deserve to be in that conversation. These players have to put themselves front and center in front of Greg Berhalter and his staff and in front of the public for that matter and say, you know what, when everybody gets together, when all of these players that we're so excited about where they're playing and what they are doing over in Europe get, get pulled into the mix, and we have that ultimate group, at some point we're going to have that moment, you want to make sure that you got a ticket to that camp. And these are the types of camps and moments that you do it, even though you're playing against inferior uh, uh, opposition. Uh, the other thing is, you know, Serginho Dest right now is our best right back and our best left back. And yeah, I know you got Reggie Cannon waiting in the wings and uh, Anthony Robinson, but it would be nice to actually have somebody step up from a left back position. Uh, let's see what else. Walker Zimmerman. Uh, so center back type of position. I don't, I, I don't think that we have yet that person who has said, I am going to start next to John Brooks. Uh, so that might be somebody uh, McKenzie, those types of players that might say, Hey, this is, this is one of those options. You just gotta, you gotta use this camp to say, hey, I'm here and I'm an option. I don't think anybody's gonna solidify their, their spot in a, uh, in a starting 11 for the U.S. Men's National League. I don't know, what are you looking for, Mossy? Well, let me just say on the topic of American players, a major update, it is now 2-0 Juventus over Barcelona. Wesson McKinney with a spectacular goal. That, that, that might be an American scoring for Juventus away to Barcelona in a Champions League game You'd be hard-pressed to find anything bigger than that. And wait till you see this goal. An acrobatic volley in the box. Just beautiful finish. I mean, I just... And now traditional American flag tweet is about to go out. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Golazo! Uh, McKenney. I'm reading it off uh, of the news here. uh, Next question. Uh, At Matt Swiftness. Uh, people think running a club is like FIFA, and by that he means the FIFA video game. Uh, can you shed light from your GM experience on how hard it is? Well, I mean, there are universal uh, challenges. And then there's also moments that you make harder than they should be. And I certainly created and made uh, plenty of those over my time. Uh, I had three distinct and very unique and different types of experiences in the three teams that I was uh, the president and general manager of. Um, one in San Jose that was in the process of lo- relocating. One in uh, New York, New Jersey, which was the Metro Stars, which is, was in the process of being sold and becoming the uh, Red Bulls. And then uh, one in Los Angeles with the Galaxy that was 
fundamentally changing because of the designated player rule and obviously uh, the David Beckham hurricane, hurricane that came in. My job was twofold. And um, I knew from the moment that I took these jobs that this was my responsibility and this was the job description. It was to have a good product on the field and monetize that product off the field. And as I've said before, uh, I only got part of that right for the most part when it comes to the Galaxy. Uh, other, other, the other teams, I kind of had more of a balance. All the teams from a monetization and a business standpoint, the irony is that that's not what certainly my background was. That's where we got it right. And that's where we did some really, really uh, good things. The on-field type of product ultimately was not what it, what it should have been. And so marrying those two, if you're in that, in, in that type of position and balancing those two and making decisions either for or against one side or the other, I think that in of itself is a skill and an art, and it's it, it's certainly not uh, not easy. I mean, look, relative to a lot of things in the world, it's an incredibly easy job. We we get that, but when you're when you're in it, one of the biggest I, I guess challenges is your weeks. And when I say you, not just you, but oftentimes your family, your weeks are dependent on scores from a game. How your week goes, uh, your mood, the way that you interact is often dependent on a soccer team winning or losing. You try not to have it be, but inevitably it is. And that's not always the healthiest way to live. And some of the best in the business find a way to separate and divorce themselves from those things, but it's very, very difficult. Is it like FIFA? When it comes to the actual money ball of a situation like that, you got to surround, like in anything in, in business, you, you need to surround yourself with good people, people that you trust, people that will not tell you just what you want to hear, uh, and people that are good at their jobs and that you have faith and trust in letting them be good at their jobs and do what you, what you need them to do for the good of the organization. And that's, that's not as easy as it sounds, to be, quite, uh, to be quite honest. But when you do get that, you know, that's where the, the real science um, comes into play. And you know, these are, these are decisions that you are going to live with. In FIFA, you get to play another game. You get to go on, okay? In, in real life, you're dealing, first and foremost, not with computer people. You're dealing with actual human beings with all of our flaws and frailties uh, and all of our inconsistencies. And those don't necessarily show up in the FIFA game when you're playing manager. So you have to be able to get through those types of things. And that's, that's not, uh, that's not always easy. And you live with the consequences of these decisions that you make the player that you sign, you know, he or she is good, but did you spend the right amount of money? Have you saved enough money for this? Do you understand all of the different machinations and all the different rules and regulations that exist, especially in for a, a league like major league soccer, where there's so many different things. A lot of that stuff doesn't necessarily occur on FIFA to your, uh, to your point over there. All of that is to say that is it to your, uh, to your question, is it hard for some people, it's hard. For some people, it's not. But relative to people that actually have jobs that 
um, are truly hard. No, it's not hard. I mean, we, we live in sports. I love sports and obviously sports are our lives and our livelihoods, but relative to a lot of other things out there, it is certainly uh, not hard. doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean that I can do it and do it consistently well, but you know, you, you're, uh, you're working in, you're working in sports. If you have that gig, if you have that opportunity, you're incredibly fortunate and, uh, and to a certain extent, uh, privileged to be able to do it. And if you are good, then you become very, very valuable to that, uh, to that industry. Uh, okay. I think I hope, I hope I answered that question. Uh, anything else, Mossy? So we'll end on this. Um, last week, um, Alex Dad inserted a question uh, uh, regarding whether Luis Suarez was one of the top five greatest center forwards uh, of all time. Uh, we, we sort of addressed that, but then Alex was also hoping to get from us, or at least from you, a list of your uh, top five greatest uh, center forwards ever. And you were blindsided a little bit and weren't quite ready. So we decided, Hey, let's give it a week. We'll revisit this. So, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the question just to read it is uh, at a Robinson 1987, would you say Luis Suarez is one of the greatest number nines in history, perhaps top five. So uh, like I said, we already addressed that last week. Uh, are you ready to give us now your top five all time uh, center for, you know how, what Alex that is thinking. He thinks people love lists. So he's trying to get a little Twitter graphic out of this, you know, Alexi Lawless's top five greatest oh, okay. strikers but, ever. He thinks that well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let him do that. As I'm you know, not... people on Twitter are always very recipient to your opinions and, and <laughs> positively to them. And I'm not going to let him do that because I, I, I have four. I need you to help me, my friend, I need you to help me with this fifth one to, sure. to spin me or sell me on who I should have for my. All right. So my, my four are Zlatan, Ronaldo, Eusebio and Lewandowski. So I need one more. Um, you know, this all started because of the Suarez conversation, right? Luis Suarez. It's interesting because, you know, for all the talk about recency bias, uh, generally speaking, the more prevalent bias in sports media is towards the past. People love to romanticize, glorify, mythologize the past. And, and, and when, when doing these all-time lists, I, I do feel like there's a, there's, a, there's a certain bias towards older players. You included two active players in yep. Lewandowski and Zlatan. So you don't suffer from that bias. You have no problem giving current players their due. I would say, since you already have two active guys there and Ronaldo, who's fairly recent, maybe reach back for your fifth for somebody like a Marco van Basten or even go farther back and somebody like Gerd Muller. I would say those would be the options. And, and well, you do have Eusebio, though, so you do have an, an older player. Yeah. And okay. And I, and I feel like I'm almost posturing with the Eusebio one because it's not like I grew up watching Eusebio, okay? Uh, I, I have watched him and I can see the greatness in that. And so that's where that comes from. And, and uh, all right. Uh, my, the Von Boston stuff. All right. I'll go with Von Boston. Eh, I, I, I want, you know what? I might do Suarez. I don't know. Ah, you do Van Boston over Suarez. Uh, I would. Yeah. Why? I thought he was a more transcendent player. Um, obviously he had the injuries. So Suarez has put up uh, better numbers on him, but at their absolute peaks, uh, but Van Boston was a more transcendent player. Okay, then I'm definitely putting Suarez in. All right, there we go. <laughs> I got Suarez. What do you got? Uh, I don't. I don't have a, a five per se. Certainly don't have anything that I want Alex Dow to post on Twitter. <laughs> okay, uh, but you know, 
If I was being honest, I would put Ronaldo and Romario both in there, but uh, I don't want to be accused of Brazilian bias. So I'll choose one of those two, which, and by the way, that's an eternal debate in Brazil, Ronaldo versus Romario. Uh, I will go with Ronaldo. And then uh, my current active player would be Zlatan. I think his body of work merits inclusion there. And then Von Bossen would be in there for me, Gerd Muller. And then I, I would either put Eusebio or Puskas as that else guy. Although in speaking to my father about this this morning, he, he said, uh, you know, cause he's, I go to him for sort of old, older players. And, and he said, Puskas wasn't quite the out and out center forward that I, I assumed he was um, that he, he played, you know, obviously formations have sort of changed over here. So, you know, it's hard to, it's, Back then, everybody played in sort of this this four two four or different variations of that, and it's hard to sort of determine what that translates to in, into positions today. It does not always translate so neatly, but nevertheless, he, he sort of talked me out of the Puskas thing on the basis that he wasn't quite the out and out center forward that I, I thought he was. So I guess I'll go Eusebio then. So I would go Zlatan, Ronaldo, who did I say? Van Basten, Gerd Müller, and Eusebio. Gerd Müller. Right, so I have Lewandowski, and you have Gerd, Gerd Müller. I have Suarez, and you have Van Basten. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Well, let us know out there what you think of our uh, uh, our picks out there. And that does answer uh, A. Robinson 1987's uh, question about uh, Suarez. So, yeah, if if I wasn't convinced last week, I think a week has, has made me more convinced about Luis Suarez uh, in there. And, and I don't think... I'm sure we missed some and people are going to say, oh, I can't believe you didn't have this person. But I don't think we missed any obvious ones uh, out there. All right, Mossy, anything else uh, when it comes to uh, Ask Alexi? I, I do want to, so it's a weird note to end the podcast on, but an absolutely bizarre story. I do want to at least mention it. Uh, PSG are playing Istanbul Bashakshi here right now. And both teams have walked off the field, alleging that the referee made a racist remark to one of the players. Oh, and so... Um, oh boy. That, I don't know what's going to become of that. Um, so, so yeah. That, that'll be a big well, I mean, look, these are, these are things that are happening in real time, as we said. <clears throat> and uh, because of that, we don't have all of the information. This could be confirmed. This could be denied. This could be blown out of the water. Uh, we don't know. But regardless, there is plenty to talk about uh, going forward on. And I guess even off the field when it comes to uh, Champions League with, uh, with what's going on. All right, listen, uh, we are not going to end it uh, on that uh, on that note. We still got one for the road and a very special one for the road coming up. So we're going to take one last little break. And, and coming back, we are going to say a fond farewell. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. I uh, appreciate you coming back here for uh, One for the Road. We uh, we end each and every podcast with One for the Road. And uh, this podcast is special to a certain extent because we are bidding adieu. We are saying goodbye. We are saying arrivederci to uh, Alex Dowd. Alex, I know you you hide behind that, uh, that curtain right there, but it, can you at least come out and uh, turn your microphone on so the people can hear and, and put, put, turn your camera on too? I hope you're not naked, but turn it on so we can always see and hear you. Come on. There. Okay. Microphone's open. There he is. Oh, my Lord. Look at your facial hair. Well, if, if, if anybody ever needed any proof that uh, you were a, uh, a Chelsea nut, uh, there you go. Look at that. So here's the deal. Alex Dowd has been with us over the last couple of years and uh, has been such a huge and important part of our uh, of our podcast in Getting it ready, 
even in real time, helping us and steering us in the right direction. And then after the fact, making sure that it gets out to you. He is vital and has been vital to making this whatever this is for, for everybody else. Whatever good you find in the State of the Union podcast, uh, a lot of it can be attributed to uh, David Mossy and, uh, and Alex Dowd. And Alex Dowd has done so much stuff uh, for us behind the scenes. He uh, he's, he's not leaving uh, the company. He's not dying. We're all dying, but he's not dying right now. He is just going on to some bigger and better things. And that's what happens when you have somebody of quality. That's what happens when you have somebody who knows what they are doing. Uh, they get very, very valuable and sought after. And that's what's, uh, that's what's happening here. So on behalf of all of us here at the State of the Union, uh, Alex, we want to thank you for everything that you have done. We want to wish you well going forward. We hope that you will come back and drop in every once in a while and let us know how it's going. We will continue with our text change so we can make fun of you for the team that you support and the ridiculousness that is your facial hair and everything else. And uh, we wish you luck uh, going forward in all the different things that Fox is going to have, uh, have you doing. Is there anything that you would like to say to the people uh, out there before you head on your merry way? Uh, I mean, I'll keep it brief. Just know that it's been a great time. It's been an honor, pleasure working with you guys. And of course, and big thank you to all the listeners. And, you know, I, I go through a lot of the iTunes reviews and all that stuff and going through all the Ask Alexi questions and seeing that there's just such a diverse following of people that love you and also hate you, which is uh, exactly what you want from somebody that is a, uh, <laughs> a podcast host and Mossy as well. It's good to see that you've grown and have an own uh, Ask Alexi or Ask Mossy, Mossy hashtag. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see. And I'm leaving you in the very capable hands of uh, Luis Aguilar, Jeff Fernandez and Will Hagel's helping with the audio. So sure you guys will be uh, much improved upon my departure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, don't, don't think for a second that this isn't getting better the minute that you leave. Uh, we, we understand that. But um, you know, as I said, uh, thank you for, uh, for everything you're doing. In all, uh, in all honesty, you have made all of our jobs and lives so much easier for, uh, for so long in terms of, uh, of what we're doing. And I will say that when I used to go on the road a, a lot, and even on Twitter or, or uh, social media um, or just people that I come by who want to talk about the podcast. And believe it or not, there's a lot of people that want to talk about it. Uh, inevitably, they will bring up Alex Dowd. And you have you are at times a man of mystery. Not a lot of people necessarily know what you look like or sound like and everything. So this is, this is the most camera and uh, microphone time that you have ever taken up. So the don't judge it all on this, people. Okay, he's much more than what you have seen uh, or heard uh, heard right here. But ultimately, he is a a wonderful person, and he's great at his job. And I wish, as I said, on behalf of all of us here, I wish you uh, well going forward. And thank you so much. And uh, you are leaving us, as you said, in the capable hands of uh, Jeff and Louise. And we shall go onward and upward and forward when it comes to the podcast. But uh, whatever success uh, and path that we take know that uh, you had a lot, uh, uh, you were heavily involved and had a lot to do with, um, with where we are so far. So thank you so much. Anything else, Mossy? Well, look, I respect you for towing the, the party line here, but I'd like to actually <laughs> tell the people what really happened. This is a demotion for Alex Dowd. Uh, being, <laughs> being the producer of the State of the Union podcast is the single most desirable position, I would argue, in all of Fox Sports. And he had it for three years. It didn't work out. And, and so we're going to make a change. Unfortunately, he has this massive contract. Uh, they don't want to have to pay him off. So th this is just, they're finding a place to put him. That, that's what's happening here. I mean, 
but to be fair, he wields a lot of power. Okay. And I don't know if you've met his agent, but holy sweet mother. Oh my goodness. Yeah. They're, uh, they're making room for me next to Strahan on a Sunday mornings <laughs> on Fox NFL Sunday. So you guys can find my hot takes there and hopefully I can squeeze some Chelsea chatter into our, uh, big flagship show. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of yet another State of the Union podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for reviewing and downloading and uh, rating and doing all the different things that you do out there on all the different platforms uh, where you get your uh, State of the Union. We will be back again next week at our regular scheduled time uh, on Monday out uh, out on Tuesday. And until then, as always, we love Alex Dowd and Size the Day.